Today's passage comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today, and I pray that as we go into the book of Galatians, that you would have a special and unique word for each one of us, that it would touch us personally, that it would penetrate our hearts. I pray for these next 20 to 30 minutes that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be able to receive, and that the Holy Spirit would come down and touch us, Lord. And so we thank you, and we love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. About 500 years ago, there was this man named Martin Luther. And he was this brilliant man. He was a very smart man. He graduated high school at 17, he went to university at the same age, and he ended up graduating with a master's degree by 23. He was hardworking and he was diligent. He was trying to become a lawyer, and he was well on his way there. In fact, he wanted to become a professor of law. However, one stormy day, he was on his way back home. And all of a sudden, a lightning bolt struck the ground a couple feet away from him. And he was terrified. He was terrified because for the first time, he had a near-death experience. And he didn't know what was going to happen to him after he died. And so he, because he was so scared, he ended up at that very moment giving his life to God and becoming a monk. God works in mysterious ways, right? But the strange thing is, the more he served in church, the more anxious he became. And the more he gave to the Lord, the more nervous and guilty he felt. And that guilty feeling that he had, that anxiety and worry about the future, he thought he would have peace finally as he turned into a monk, as he became a monk. But yet, that just became worse and worse for him as he gave his life more to the Lord. And the reason why was because the Catholic Church taught that salvation was not by grace alone. It was through your works you are saved. And so for him, it was all about how to earn as much merit as he could possibly earn. And so what he would do is he would wear the most uncomfortable clothes that he could possibly wear. He would go to different monasteries, and as he would climb the stairs, he would climb on his knees reciting the Lord's Prayer. That he wouldn't eat for days, he wouldn't drink water for days. Instead, he would beg for his food. And the reason why he would do all of these things is because the church told him that in order to receive salvation, you needed merit, and those things give you merit. And yet for him, he was still so guilty because he knew the same thing that you and I know. 
that no matter how much good you try to do, no matter how much you try to give, that inside you are still sinful and inside you still commit sin. In fact, it got to the point where in his biography it said that he would go to a priest to confess his sins and he would be so guilt-ridden that he would confess his sins for six hours a day. And it got to the point where the priest who was listening to him got so tired that he said, unless you commit adultery, don't come back here again. Now, something happened to Martin Luther. Because this man who was full of guilt was the same man who in 1517 started the Protestant Reformation. Now, the Protestant Reformation, it changed the course of history for Christianity. And what the Protestant Reformation said, the major tenet of it, was that it broke away from the Catholic Church for one specific reason. That salvation is not through your works. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is purely through your faith in Jesus Christ. And there is one place that describes this better than we can say anywhere else in the Bible. There is one place that explains this gospel more clearly than almost anywhere else, and that is the book of Galatians. In fact, Martin Luther said in his commentary that if he could have one single book, that if he could jot down his name, that it would be his life book, it would be the book of Galatians. That if there was a book that he could wed, that it would be the book of Galatians. And for us, church, as we go forward into 2020, I still believe more than ever that this is going to be the year of breakthrough for you. That this is going to be the year of breakthrough for our church in a very special way. That God is going to take you into places that you have never gone before. That he's going to lead you into territory that you have never experienced before. That he is going to bring you to another level with him that you have never gone before. And yet the only way that you will be able to go to that place is if your foundation is set. No matter how nice the building may be, no matter how extravagant the outside is, if the inside is rotten, then it will fall. And so even if God is ready for you to go somewhere that you have never gone before, that he has prepared something for you for years and years and years, he is not going to take you there until you are ready. And so church, one thing that has been on my mind again and again and one of the reasons why I felt so called for us to go into the book of Galatians is because I believe God is calling us to go back to the basics. Focus on your foundation and know that from there, everything else will flow. And look, for me, it is so easy for me to get caught up in the weeds. It's so easy for me to get caught up in whatever else. I love thinking 10 steps ahead, and yet what God, I believe, is telling us is look, simply focus on your foundation, focus on the gospel, and know that I am the one who sets your steps forward. Know that I am the one who will guide your every way. I am the one who knows your future, who has ordained your life, and so trust in me and focus on your foundation. And everything else will be set. 
And so by the end of this sermon series, I want us to be able to answer two specific questions. The first one is, what is the gospel? And the second is, why is it important? And I believe that if we're able to do that, then God is going to use you in ways that you have never imagined. That God is going to be able to bring you into places that you have never even thought of. And that he is ready to change your life. He is simply waiting for you to set your foundation. Amen? See, Paul, he was called a a church-planting missionary. Because what he would do is he would go into different cities. He would spread the gospel. He would talk about God. He would talk about Jesus, the character of who Jesus is. From there, people's lives would be transformed. He would set up leaders. And then he would plant churches in that city. And then he would move on to the next city. He was a church-planting missionary. And what we know is that one of the first churches that he went to was the church in Galatia. And you see, after he planted the churches there, he went on to the next city. And what he realized was that there was a group of people that went behind him, that went to those churches, that went to those new Christians, and they called themselves Judaizers. And what they said was that, look, what Paul is talking about, the gospel that he's telling you, it's good, but it's not enough. Paul's gospel, you know, that that thing about Jesus Christ? Yeah, Yeah, that's important, but there's something else you have to add on. Because for the Judaizers, what they believed was that you needed faith in Jesus Christ, yes, but that you also needed to follow the Mosaic law in order to be saved. That you needed faith in Jesus Christ, yes, but that you also need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so what we read here in the book of Galatians, what we're going to be reading in Galatians, man, it is fire. Because you're going to see Paul, his demeanor is usually so calm. Paul, his demeanor is usually so just relaxed and And what he usually does is he gives a greeting and then he does thanksgiving and then he talks about people that he loves and all this stuff. What we're going to see in this book, man, is Paul, his greeting is this. Hi, I'm Paul. What are you doing? But church, the reason why Paul is so angry is because he loves this church. He loves the church here. He gave so much of his life to the Galatians. He taught them. He lived life with them. He raised leaders there. He planted the church there. There are people with whom he has such a deep connection with. But because of that, he also knows that they are new Christians. And the thing is with new Christians is that it's a double-edged sword. Because with new Christians... They have unlimited potential. For a lot of new Christians, they are the ones who are most on fire for the Lord. When I talk to a lot of Christians who are new, man, it pumps me up. It builds me up. It encourages me. It makes me want to do more. Because I see the work of God. I see the hand of God in their lives. And it makes me so happy. And it makes me so excited to see the evidence of God so clearly in front of me. 
But at the same time, it is new Christians who are in the most dangerous positions. Because what we know in the Bible, it says that new Christians are loved by God. In fact, when people are saved, the angels in the heavens are laughing and cheering and so happy. And God is so happy when people are saved. And if God so loves new Christians, that also means Satan so hates new Christians. And so what we know is that Satan will do everything that he can to lead them astray. For us, we know most of the false major religions. We know about Hinduism, Confucianism. We know about Buddhism and Islam. We know for, that they're so different than the Bible. And so it's not that hard to say, no, th this is wrong and, and this is right. But what becomes tricky and what I believe Satan will try to do for those who are beginning their walk with God is he will try to bring teachers and leaders who say they believe in Jesus Christ and yet preach a false gospel. There's this organization here, and it's prevalent in Northern Virginia, it's prevalent in many college campuses, called the World Mission Society Church of God. And from the outside, they look like a Christian church. They seem to espouse the same values that we believe. They seem to believe in the same God that we believe. They seem to believe in the same Jesus that we believe. They even come from the same Bible. And yet in Matthew 7, Jesus, he calls these people wolves in sheep's clothing. Because the further you look in their ministry, the more you realize it's not about grace, it's about works. It's not about Jesus, it's about themselves. And the more you look into this organization that they call a church, the more you realize how absolutely skewed their views are. That they believe that Jesus Christ already came back to earth, reincarnated as this Korean guy. That they believe God is mother, and that that mother is reincarnated as his wife. And their views are so skewed, and yet what they do in the very beginning is they preach and they try to teach, saying that they believe in the same God, they try to say they believe in the same gospel, and yet it is so completely opposite. Because they are wolves in sheep's clothing. This call is the definition of the false prophets that Paul is speaking against in this letter. And I want to speak, and I know I'm speaking very harshly and passionately, but I believe there's a reason why Paul is speaking so passionately too. Because he knows how dangerous this is. He knows how easy it is to be led astray. And he knows that he has to be direct. Because we encounter these things. We read these things in the Bible and we think that these are only things that are 200, 2,000 years ago. But they're happening in our backyards today. And so we have to understand this, and we have to know the gospel more than anything else, that this has to be the core foundation of who we are. Because what these people will do, what these false prophets will do, what these cults will do, is target new Christians. 
because Satan targets new Christians. So church, how do you combat this? How are you able to tell what is true and what is false? There's only one way. You need to have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is imperative that you pray on your own. It is imperative that you learn to read the Bible on your own. It is imperative that you grow to do these godly habits on your own. If Sundays are your main and only source of reading the Bible and of praying, then you will not know what is true and what is false. You are not going to be able to look at false doctrine and say that it is false. Because the only way that you will know what is false is if you know what is true. The only way you will know what is dark is if you know what is light. The only way you will know what is not salty is when you have tasted salt. And so you have to do your best this year as we head forward into building your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why we have started this year with Prayer 2020. Three weeks of just prayer, how to pray, what it means to pray, what are the results of prayer. It's why we emphasize read scripture, read the Bible, let's do it together, let's build godly habits. Because if your foundation is set, if your foundation is in the gospel, then you're going to be fine. But what Paul is worried about, why Paul is writing furiously, why Paul is so upset, is because he knows that there are new Christians within the church who are hungry for the Lord, and yet there are false prophets all over that place who are ready to prey upon them. Church, it is not any different here today that there are so many churches, there are people who are hungry for the Lord, and yet the minute we step out, there are going to be people, there are going to be prophets, there are going to be all these types of leaders who try to push you in a different direction, and the only way that you are going to be able to tell what is false is when you know what is true. See, church, this is the challenge that Paul faces because he loves this church. He loves this church that he planted, and he knows that they're, be that they're being led astray. These Judaizers, they come up to the people, and they are saying something very specific. They say, you know what, Paul, he only saw a vision of Jesus, but we saw Jesus in the person. We saw him in flesh. And so that's why you can trust us. That's why you can believe us. But for Paul, he's only speaking about kind of what he knows. But, but for us, we have true authority. And people, they're beginning to believe that. And so they start to trust these other false prophets. And so in verse 1, we read this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. What Paul is doing here is establishing his authority. And this is vitally important for us as we move forward as a church. Because there are more churches nowadays, there are more seminaries nowadays that say they believe in the Bible and yet what they're doing is that they are rejecting something called the inerrancy of Scripture. 
And what that means is that for the most part, they believe in Scripture. For the most part, they believe in what it says. But they say that there are some parts of it that are false. There are some parts of it that God has made a mistake. There are some parts of it that are not true. And yet what I want to tell you today, that for our church, for Shining Star Community Church, from when it first started to today to forever, that we believe that our core belief is the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. That it is God-breathed, like it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. That there is not a single word in there that is false. That every word is true. That every word is from God. That is what we believe as a church. And that is not going to change no matter what. No matter how the world goes. No matter what the world says. No matter how culture moves. That is what we believe. And we are always going to believe that. See, Paul, he says here that he is an apostle. An apostle, it literally means a messenger. And here it means a messenger from God who speaks God's word. Now, the part that differentiates Paul from others is what he says right after this, that he is not from men or through men. I'm standing before you as a pastor. The message that I'm speaking is not my own. It is not brought up from my own thoughts or from my own opinions. It is from the Bible. So a modern-day pastor can also be defined as a modern-day messenger. However, what Paul says is that he is not from men, nor is he through men. I have been ordained by this church through men. I have been accredited by the denomination through men. I have been theologically trained in a seminary through men. But for Paul, he says that his teaching and preaching was not taught by man, but directly by Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. These words that we are reading are not taught to Paul through other people. They weren't passed down from generation to generation. He didn't gather this from his experience or from his traditions. They are the inspired words of God because Jesus was speaking and teaching Paul directly. And so as we continue to look in this book, there are things that are going to prick our conscience. There are things that may not make complete sense to us because they are so opposite of what the world has taught us and what the world says today. But don't let your conscience guide you. Let Paul's words guide you. Don't let your tradition or your experience guide you. Let God's word guide you as we move forward. And when you do this, only when you do this, will you begin to see what is true and you'll begin to see what is false. Now, after Paul establishes his authority, he gives them the entire gospel in a nutshell. In verses 3 and 4, he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. There are two things I want us to be able to see here. The first is that he delivers us from this current evil age. Another word for deliver is that he rescues us. The essence of Christianity is this. We were dying and God, he rescued us. The essence of Christianity is this. We were drowning and Jesus saved us. That is what we believe. And it's the same reason why we as a church are so mission-focused and is why we as a church are able to give above and beyond. Is why we as a church are able to do everything that we possibly can. Because we believe this so firmly that it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that people can be saved. That it's only through God that he can rescue us. It's not going to be through our works. There's a saying that my dad would always say to me. He said, Dan, if you had the cure to cancer, wouldn't you be giving it to every cancer patient? If you by yourself had the cure, would there be any hesitancy in how you give it to them? Would you be waiting for the right time? Would you be waiting until they're less busy? Would you be trying to find the right words? No, you would just give it to them because you know that you have the cure to cancer and you know that they're dying. That's what we believe as a church too. That's why we give so much. That's why we try our best as a mission-focused church. That's why the people there that you saw, the only thing that are going to save those people are not food, are not water, are not games. It is simply going to be the gospel that Jesus Christ died and rescued them. That's it. There's nothing else. And that's what we believe as well. That's what we are striving to as a church. And so for us, as we move forward... Man, I pray and I challenge you that that hesitancy, that that nervousness will go away because that is not a fear of God, that is a fear of man. That as we proclaim the gospel, as we live our lives as Christians, that we would do so proudly, knowing that he has saved us, knowing that he has rescued us. That is what it means to truly know that Jesus Christ has rescued us from death. Now, secondly, how does he rescue us? It says in verse 4 that he gave himself for our sins. He didn't just go in and take our place, church. He died in our place. He didn't just give us the cure to cancer. He took cancer in him. In theological terms, this is called substitutionary atonement. And all that means is that Jesus Christ was the one who took our place when we should have died. That there was this divide, that there was this gap that could not be crossed because we had a holy God and we had a sinful people. And the only way that that gap would be able to close, the only way that a holy God would be able to have a relationship with a sinful people would only be through the perfect sacrifice. And it was done through Jesus Christ. He was our substitute. And when we believe this, church, Paul says in verse 3 that grace and peace 
will be yours. Today, when someone says, you know, grace and peace or whatever, it's almost like a colloquialism. It's almost like a, it's just a saying that people would say nowadays. But what we know is that there are no wasted words in the Bible. Because what Paul is saying is that if you believe in the gospel message, that if you believe in this with all of your heart, with everything that you have, then your entire life from your past to your present will be covered and you will have grace and you will have peace. Because, church, grace is how you see your past and peace is how you view your future. Peace means that whatever you may be facing in your future, it is nothing compared to the power of God. Grace means that your past mistakes, that your past sins are fully and completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It means that no matter how badly you have sinned, that no matter how badly you have turned away from God, no matter how bad your mistakes have been in your life and in your past, the blood of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, is greater than those things. And so your identity is not in your past any longer. Your identity is not in those things any longer. Your identity, if you believe in Jesus Christ, is in him completely, that you are a son, that you are a daughter of the Most High God. That is what grace is. And what peace means is that whatever you are facing in your future, it is covered. That if he was willing to take your place and die on your behalf, what wouldn't he do for you? That the troubles and tribulations that you're facing in your future, that the haziness that is in front of you, that the confusion that you see in front of you, that the blackness, that the darkness that you see in front of you, that God has already taken care of it. That he has already ordained those things to allow them to happen in your life. So you can have peace knowing that he is in control. It's that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the character of God. That you know what the Bible says is true. That the God of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, he's your God. That the God of miracles is your God. And that even if this world changes, that even if culture changes, that even if this building falls apart, God will not change. Look, the things in your future, church, he has allowed and he is in control. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to him, cancer is the same thing as a cold? In Exodus 14, the Israelites and Moses, they, they go out of Egypt through the ten plagues, and they are facing the greatest barrier of their lives. They are facing the Red Sea. And they are so afraid. The Israelites, they are so terrified. And they begin to complain. They begin to get scared. They begin to cry out, wondering what is happening. 
because they realized that the Pharaoh had changed his mind and sent the entire Egyptian army to bring them back. And so behind them, they see the entire army, and in front of them, they see the Red Sea. Behind them, they see the past of all the things that they have done, and in the future, they see the greatest barrier of their lives. And so they are terrified. But what's strange is that Moses is calm. Moses is at peace. What happened there? Because, you see, for the Israelites and for Moses, they both came out of Egypt. For the Israelites and for Moses, they both walked in the wilderness. For the Israelites and for Moses, they were both facing the Red Sea. And yet what we know is that the Israelites were terrified, they were petrified, they were so scared. And yet for Moses, he was completely at peace. What is the difference? Why were the Israelites scared and why was Moses calm? The answer is simple. It's because Moses knew the character of God. In chapter 3, Moses encountered God through the burning bush. In chapter 4, he spoke to the Lord. In chapter 5, he cried out to him. And in chapter 6, he conversed with him on how to deal with Pharaoh. And every step of the way, he knew who God was. He trusted in his character. And so when he saw the Red Sea in front of him, and when he saw the great Egyptian army behind him, he knew that there was nothing to be scared of because he knew the character of God and how he had led him all the way here. And there was no way that God's hand would be off of him now. And so church, whatever tribulation, whatever hardship that you're going through, do you trust in the character of God? That he has held you up to this point and that he is going to hold your hand all the way through. That you are under his mighty right wing. That you are under his mighty right hand. That he, has that he will take care of you. That he is with you. And so all you have to do is trust in him. Moses looks out to the Israelites and he says one simple thing. He says, be still and know that the Lord is fighting for you. Another translation says this. Be at peace and know that God is with you. Church, trust that. Because when you have the gospel as a first and foremost thing in your life, there is nothing else that is going to matter. That every hardship, every pain is simply only a temporary moment. That your past troubles, they're in the past. They do not define you. Your definition is found through Jesus Christ alone. And your future, the greatest barrier in your life, the things that are coming up in 2020, the greatest trials and tribulations that you're about to face, church, they're nothing. Not because they're insignificant, but because you have the Lord on your side. And because of that, you can have peace everlasting. So church, I want to encourage you and challenge you with this one last thing. Be at peace and know that God is with you. Amen? Let's pray.